Okay, good. We've had a few. It's it's really really good, and uh, the media. Anytime the media is upset with the movie, you know the movie's good. And uh, but it's uh, it's really well done. But if you want to just see how messed up things are, um, just just watch that movie and and then pray about it and see if God puts it on your heart. What what kind of action you should take, and uh, if nothing else, prayer. And there's I know Tim Tebow has a ministry providing safe houses for children who've been uh, in the uh, slave market and stuff. So, uh, but keep ministries like that in your prayers. But, but whatever the case, I try to catch the movie while it's still out there. And, uh, but right now we're going to be going and finishing up. I'm hoping I was supposed to finish up last week. First Thessalonians this is the closing remarks of Paul. First Thessalonians chapter five, verses 23 through 28. And uh, as you turn there, let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time uh, that uh, for the anointing to preach his word. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we, we love you, Lord, but we, uh, we, we come to you as, as, as people with unclean lips, people who are uh, proclaimers of fake news. Um, we're often not truthful. We often lie. And so I thank you, Lord, that the people that are here today have come here to hear your wisdom, not the faulty wisdom of man. To hear, to hear your truth, not the fake news of man. And so I pray, Lord, that you would cancel myself, uh, the fallible man. And I pray that you would anoint me and fill me with your spirit so that I could proclaim your truth and rightly interpret your word, so that I would not lead anyone astray. I pray also, Lord, that if anything from this pulpit does contradict your truth, that uh, you would help us to be bold enough to study the word and test everything, even what is proclaimed from this pulpit. And if it doesn't pass that test, it would be rejected. So may we test all things and hold fast to that which is true. Pray, Lord, that uh, you'd empower us to apply the truths we learned today and to be more like your son Jesus each and every day, but to recognize, to be humble and recognize you're not going to be done with us until your son, King Jesus, returns and takes a stand upon the earth to make things right. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we're going to be looking at verses 23 to 28. We spent some time on the the God of peace. You know, it, it's kind of like when you get to the closing of a letter, usually the beginning or the closing of one of Paul's letters, and you think, wow, I can't, there's not a whole lot you can preach on. And then you start digging into it, and you find out, oh, wow, there's, there's, there's more to it than I thought. And uh, that's what we're facing here. Last week, we spent a lot of time on the fact that Paul called our God the God of peace. And we need peace with God, peace with each other, and even peace with ourselves. We have inner turmoil, uh, but praise God that our Savior is the King. He's the Prince of Peace. He brings us peace. And um, the reason why we have hostility in the world is because we don't submit to King Jesus. And... Um, and so we talked about the God of peace, and we'll pick it up um, from there. So look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 to 28. 
And Paul says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, set you apart completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle, this letter, be read to all the holy brethren, all the set-apart brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And so last week we talked about uh, the fact that our God, who has set us apart, is the God of peace. Okay? And Paul prays that the God of peace set us apart completely for his will. And so when he wants us to be completely set apart, he's saying every aspect of the human being, God wants, he wants to save the human being. And he wants every aspect set apart for him and his holy purposes. Now, that's not going to be fully complete until Jesus returns. But in the meantime, we ought to be working in that direction through the power of God, depending upon God to change us from within. But, you know, as I was look, looking over this this week, you know, the week before it was the God of peace. I thought, you know what? I need to spend a little more time on that. But here, the fact that, you know, you know mo most Christians would say, yeah, God really wants to, uh, uh, God really wants to set apart our spirit and our soul, you know, that aspect of man, the spirit, that aspect of man where we can commune with God, we can worship. Of course, some people worship false gods. And they're spiritually dead. They're separated from the true God. They don't have fellowship with them. But God created the human spirit, that non-material aspect of man that could be conscious of God and worship God and fellowship with God. And then our soul, the intellect, the emotions, the will. Uh, through the soul, we can, we can have uh, fellowship with uh, other people. And then the body, the world of the senses. And God wants us completely set apart. But, uh, and, and, and we're going to be blameless. When Jesus comes back, if you're a true believer, God is going to completely set you apart, spirit, soul, and body, for when Jesus comes back. Okay? So, so you get, we got to realize as Christians, okay, we have to realize we got to proclaim the resurrection of the body. And there's a lot of churches in Kitsap County and throughout America and throughout the world. They don't emphasize Bible doctrine, so they really talk about the resurrection of the body. But the fact of the matter is, if you're a believer and you died right now and your spirit went to be with the Lord, God will still not be complete. You, you wouldn't be completed because you're still awaiting the resurrection of your body. Okay? Now, this was very important in Paul's day. I mean, in our day, it's important. You get atheists who act like the body is all that matters. Many atheists deny the existence of a soul or a spirit, okay? Deny the immaterial aspect. Um, but the, the whole idea that almost everybody on earth treats the human body after a human dies, we treat the human body with dignity, that actually implies the hope of future resurrection, you know? You know, Uncle Harry dies, you don't just 
put them in a garbage bag and throw them in a dumpster. You, you, you treat that body with respect. And this was at a time um, when there was an ancient heretical movement. It was among the Greeks and their mystery religions and all called Gnosticism. Uh, from the Greek word gnosis for knowledge. It was salvation through secret knowledge. Okay? So, uh, and this eventually spread into Christianity, this her heretical false view. And so the Gnostics thought they were the super Christians and everybody else, well, they weren't in the know. They didn't know about the secret handshakes and the secret knowledge that supposedly Jesus taught, which is baloney. Jesus, even when he was on trial, said, everything I spoke to you, I spoke openly. But... Uh, but eventually, about 140, so you're, you're talking about 90 years after Paul wrote this letter, uh, it had become a full-blown heretical branch of Christianity, kind of Christian Gnosticism. And that's what we think of as Gnosticism today with a capital G, salvation through secret knowledge and all. But there were already some of these Gnostic secret hidden knowledge beliefs that kind of blended Greek philosophical thought from Plato, who taught the immortality of the soul, that the goal is to escape the confines of the body, and there's no future resurrection. So whenever Christians would proclaim the resurrection among the pagans and among the philosophers, people would laugh at them, because they thought only stupid people think that God's got a future for the body. So many of our churches today don't even preach the resurrection anymore. Jesus bodily rose from the dead as the first fruits of down payment guaranteeing our future resurrection. So basically what I'm saying is that God cares about our bodies. And so you had many of these Gnostics who would say the body is not of any real spiritual importance. And in ancient Gnosticism, the Hindus share this view, by the way, as well. The ancient Gnostic would either say, since the body doesn't matter spiritually, either ignore it or deprive it or beat it. And so many of the Gnostics were celibate. They wouldn't get married. They wouldn't have sexual relations. Uh, you see this with like Buddhists today that will eat, uh, serious Buddhists will eat bland food and try to sleep on a hard concrete floor and things of that, that sort, denying the body pleasures and stuff. So it's asceticism where you, you punish or you deprive the human body for some type of spiritual gain. Now, the Bible does encourage light asceticism, and it's called fasting, okay? But you're not supposed to go around beating up your body, okay? And um, so some Gnostics would deprive the body because who cares about the body? The whole goal is to escape the physical body. Uh, other Gnostics would say, well, if the body doesn't matter, well, then who cares? Do whatever you want with your body. Sin as much as you want because it really doesn't really matter. And you'll find that most of the, most of the Hindu gurus out of India would say deprive the body, okay? But we had right in Oregon, Bhagwan Rajneesh. He took the other view, since the body really doesn't matter, Try to commit every sin possible, sexual sins, murder, whatever. And uh, he was big on that. There's good reason why Rajneesh was kicked out of Oregon and went back to India to die. Okay? You know, he poisoned the whole water trying to take over a town. 
in Oregon. And, uh, and so keep in mind that these ideas, even before there was a full-blown Christian Gnosticism, these ideas of salvation through secret knowledge and no future for the human body was very common. In fact, the Gnostics believed that if something's physical, it's automatically evil. Now, we have to understand, when God created the universe, God said, it is good. God created a perfect universe, but then when we fell, that physical universe got all messed up. So it was a perfect creation, now it's a falling creation, but the Bible teaches that the physical creation is redeemable. The Gnostics would have nothing to do with that. Okay? What I'm saying is we Christians need to be spiritually minded. We Christians need to study the word and be intellectually minded. But we also need to, to care for our bodies as well. Okay? Now, Paul says that physical training is of little value. I mean, you can get buffed on planet Earth, and but when Jesus comes back, everybody's going to get a resurrection body. So I wouldn't be surprised if everybody's going to be buffed in the resurrection. At the same time, Paul would discipline his body so he could preach Jesus. You know, I wish I, wish I could sit down when I eat and say, I am eating to nourish my body to do the will of my king. Now, it's hard to say it when you just got your food from the McDonald's drive-thru, all right? But the fact of the matter is when we eat, we're supposed to nourish our bodies to do the will of our king. When we sleep, we're supposed to rest our bodies so in the morning we can wake up refreshed and do the will of our king, okay? Um... When we study, when we work hard, we should do all things for the glory of God. And, um, and so keep in mind that w with our bodies, you know, uh, God doesn't want us. God doesn't, you know, our, our, even our bodies will be redeemed. I mean, this is why even in the Apostles' Creed, the earliest creeds in the church talked about the future resurrection of the dead. It was considered one of the key doctrines of the Christian faith, that when Jesus comes back, he's going to raise the bodies of his followers forever and ever. Their mortal bodies will put on immortality. And so when God wants us to be blameless in all aspects, that's the spirit, the soul, and the entire body. Um, and so our bodies were, the whole physical world was created perfect. The Gnostics say, no, it was if it's physical, it's automatically evil, and it's not redeemable. Christianity says otherwise. In fact, Judaism says otherwise. Even Islam says otherwise. And um, those who believe in the creator, a personal creator God, theism, monotheism, one true eternal God, all agree that there's going to be a future resurrection. So I want to just look at a couple verses there. 1 Corinthians 15 1 Corinthians 15, we, we looked at last week where we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. God wants every aspect of us, not just our minds, not just our spirits. He wants our bodies as well, okay? 
God doesn't want a little piece of us. He wants all of us. And uh, 1 Corinthians 15, after defending Jesus' resurrection, something the Corinthians believed in. They believed in Jesus' bodily resurrection, but because of these early Gnostic, pagan Gnostic, pagan uh, Platonic philosophical ideas, many of the Corinthians were denying a future bodily resurrection of believers. And so uh, what did Paul say about this? 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 to 54. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit corruption. So in our fallen state, our bodies, our present state, we can't, we can't get to heaven. Okay, we can't be in God's presence. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We're not all going to die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible, the perishable body, must put on incorruption, must become imperishable. And this mortal, a body capable of death, must put on, put on immortality, a body not capable of death. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So when Jesus died on the cross, he died not just to redeem us spiritually or soulishly, but physically as well. Now, where the health, wealth, and prosperity heretics get it wrong, they think that if you've got no lack of faith and no unconfessed sin, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous right here and now. No, no. You're underestimating the full physical aspects of the atonement of Jesus' death on the cross. When we receive our physical body healing, it's going to be a resurrection body that's never, ever, ever going to die. We'll be able to eat food, but we won't have to eat food. I think we're going to even be able, like with Jesus, we'll be like him when we see him as he is. First John tells us that. I think we're going to be able to travel at the speed of thought. Yeah, we're going to have physical bodies that are immortal, that are glorified, and are resurrected bodies. Um, look at what Paul says in verses 12 to 17 of 1 Corinthians 15. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? So Paul is combating this when he tells the Thessalonians, I know how the Greeks think. The Greeks think there's no future for the physical body. The Greeks think there's, the goal is just to escape the confines of the physical body. But Paul says, now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. See, Christ is, is our forerunner. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. If we're not going to be physically raised, then why in the world would God the Father have raised the Lord Jesus from the dead? Verse 14, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. It's a package deal. If Jesus rose, he's going to raise to immortality his followers. If his followers aren't going to be raised to immortality, then he didn't rise. And we know, of course, that Jesus rose. Verse 15, 
are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. In this life only we have hope in Christ. If, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. So uh, Paul makes it very, very clear that Jesus rose from the dead, bodily rose from the dead, his mortal body put on immortality. It wasn't like a, a re resurrection like Lazarus where he just regained the, the status of his mortal body, came back to life, but he was going to die again. It was the, the mortal body put on immortality. Never to die again. Whatever occurred to that body in the tomb would have been so catastrophic, okay, that it actually makes like something like the image on the Shroud of Turin very believable to me, especially since we don't have the technology to reproduce that image today. And a lot of, a lot of guys online claim that they can reproduce the Shroud they, they, they're they talking about two or three aspects, not the 50 or so aspects that need to be reproduced. But whatever the case, uh, we need to be transfigured, but God is concerned with our bodies. Look at Romans 8. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8. In, in fact... I'm just going to read one more passage from 1 Corinthians 15, verses, uh, and then we'll go to Romans 8. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 to 44, Paul says this, So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown or buried in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown or buried in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. Literally, that's a soulish body. We have soulish bodies right now. Somosukikon um, uh, in the Greek. But it's going to be raised a spiritual body. Somonumatikos, or the Greek word pneuma for spirit. So the way we should translate, look, if it's buried a natural body, it's going to be raised a supernatural body. Otherwise, we should have just left it literally if it, uh, it is buried a soulish body, it'll be raised a spiritual body, okay? Um, there is a natural body. There is also a spiritual body. And so we await, await the future resurrection. So basically what I'm saying, God cares about your body, okay? Now, I don't know. We live in a conflicted culture, okay? We don't know what's going on because... Our culture, on one hand, will have you go to the doctors and get so hyper-freaked out about your health, okay, that you're monitoring your blood pressure every single day. Some of us need to monitor our blood pressure every single day because of health issues. But, you know, when I go to, this is why I do not see eye to eye with most medical doctors. I, I go to the medical doctor, and he's like, the guy wants to check everything. I'm like, look, it's, it's like when I take my car to an auto repair shop, if something's broke, I'll tell you what's broke, you tell me how to fix it. If I don't know what's broke, find out what's broke and then fix it. 
but don't do this exhaustive research, okay? Don't. I'm 63 years old. I don't need another tune-up, okay? Okay? Now, the day might come I might need an engine overhaul or something, a new engine, whatever. Uh, but don't be messing around. Most of the things doctors find are things that you're not going to die from, but things that you'll die with, Okay? Now, I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not anti-medical, but I'm saying don't get so stressed out. So on one side of the coin in our culture, okay, we are so stressed out about our health that we care more about our blood pressure than our morning devotion, okay? And I'm talking about healthy people that, that aren't like a stroke waiting to happen, okay? Um, or we care more about getting six-pack abs than than our morning devotion, okay? We care more about our physical build, build than we care about the things of God. In the meantime, we're also, I mean, we are putting so many chemicals into our body, eating so much bad food. I grew up on pasta, okay? Um, it, it's kind of like, yeah, maybe if we have all these medical problems, it's because of what we're eating, what we're putting in our bodies. And so we, we've really got to think this through. We, we've got to come up with a Christian theology of the body. Okay? And that, that affects not just our health. That, that should even affect the way we dress. Okay? Um, do, do we offend people by the way we dress? Can we push people away? And it's not an easy answer. There'll some, be some people who will visit Trinity Bible Fellowship. They'll say, I like that church because the pastor dresses real casual. Okay? Somebody else might visit the church and say, I don't like that church. The pastor dresses like a slob. He's not wearing a suit. You know? So there's no easy formula. Okay? I've been to some churches where the old Calvary Chapel in the 1980s where the pastor had a white T-shirt with a Mickey Mouse on the T-shirt. I wouldn't go that far. But for some guys, I've already gone too far because I'm not wearing a suit. So I don't know, you know, what the answer is, but we need to think about those things because God cares about our bodies. But we're, we're all over the place in this culture. We're, I mean, I, I think with, uh, with all the advances, we, we'd be living into our 90s and 100s. Uh, but in the meantime, we're vaccinating everybody and their mother's brother for every little reason. You know, we just got, it's just like we interfere too much, okay? There's a balance. I don't worship. You should not worship the human body at the same time. God created man in his image, and there's a lot you could, you could talk for days on that, try to figure out exactly what that is. But part of what God created to man to be is part, part of it is the body. So we should care for our body. I mean, you know, I went to one doctor, my old doctor, and I barely had high blood pressure, so he wanted to put me on medication, prescribed it. I bought it, looked it up online, saw all the side effects. When I said, I want nothing to do with this, the cure is worse than the condition. And then uh, I did a little more research, and basically the research on the Internet just said, Try losing 10 pounds. I got, I, and I'm, I, you're not going to catch me jogging. 
I probably won't even go on long walks, okay? I'm not going to get on a treadmill. So my idea, cardio, I step in the ring and, and hit people and get hit. And so I got back into boxing, lost 10 pounds. All of a sudden, guess what? No high blood pressure. Now, I'm not saying that always works for everybody, but shouldn't the medication be the last resort? Not the first thing we turn to. But basically what, what I'm getting at is we, we Christians need to, you know, yes, we need to focus on the intellect. Yes, we need to focus on our spiritual worship of the Lord and our study of God's word. But we also need to remember God did give us, he's entrusted with us with a human body and he's not going to be done with it in this life. And, um, and so we got to put more priority on that. Um, look, at, uh, look at Romans 8. Paul's talking about this in Romans 3, 4, and 5. He's talking about when we're declared righteous by God, justification, the first stage of salvation. When you first trust in Jesus for salvation, he declares you righteous. Okay, you're saved. Then you enter into Romans chapter 6 and 7, sanctification. Well, once we're saved, how do we grow in the Lord? How do we become set apart for God's purposes? And then in Romans 8, it's the final stage of sanctification, glorification, when we receive our immortal bodies. So in Romans 8, verses 14 to 16, Paul says this, For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. We've been adopted as sons and daughters of God through Jesus. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Okay? Verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Okay? So the spirit of adoption. So we're spiritually saved right now and adopted as children of the living God. But then look at verses 22 and 23. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. So all the creation is waiting to be redeemed. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the down payment that God's going to finish the work that he starts in all true believers. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Paul's not contradicting himself. Verses 14 to 16, he's saying, if you are trusting in Jesus for salvation, you have already been adopted into God's family. But then Paul could say, but guess what? You're still awaiting your adoption. What adoption? Your physical adoption. And so basically, why, why did I take you um, on this tangent? Because it's not a tangent. When Paul tells the Thessalonians, with the, with the reigning worldview among thinking people back then, and even among the pagans, is after you physically die, there's no future for your body. And Paul says, you know what? I want you to be completely set apart for God's will and your spirit and your soul, and your body, okay? And, um, and so 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 
Paul could say how important this is. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. Flee sexual immorality. See, the Bible tells you when you get tempted to sin, quote, quote scripture. Okay, like Jesus did. Except when it comes to immorality and idolatry, then God's word says flee. Okay? So you get tempted to sexual immorality, you don't stick around and quote scripture. You find the closest door and you get out of there. You can't find a door, you jump through the window. Okay? Uh, Joseph knew this before Paul wrote this down, thousands of years before Paul wrote this down. Potiphar's wife wanted to have sexual relations with him, wanted to commit adultery with him. She grabbed his cloak. He ran out so forcibly it tore his cloak off. Now, if you're a naked Jewish guy running away and the Egyptian lady, a government official's wife, accuses you of rape, you're going to prison. Okay? And, you know, if you, if you had talked to Joseph after, after 10, 13 years in prison, was it worth it? He said, oh, yeah, I made the right choice. I made the right choice. And so Paul says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. See, this is when, remember when Paul's talking about, about being set apart for God? He does it always in the context with the Thessalonians, being set apart from sexual immorality and being set apart to God. So it's kind of, it's almost like an either-or situation. Either you're going to be set apart for God or you're going to be set apart for the pleasures of the flesh. Okay? But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and you are not your own. I'm, I'm going to have a hard time tomorrow morning when I go through that McDonald's drive-thru. Say, you hypocrite. You just preached that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And um, verse 20. See, I'm all for health. I just think too often we've trained too many doctors to go the pharmaceutical way too quickly especially when the Greek word pharmakia is the Greek word for sorcery. So, I mean, there's a place where you may need um, drugs because of some kind of pain or some kind of problem, but it shouldn't be the first resort. Why? Because your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Verse 20, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You, you see what it is? You know, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, and you were bought at a price. See, when Jesus paid the price, when he died on the cross for your sins, he paid for all of you. So it's not like, well, I'm going to just be, you know, study God's word and nourish my spirit through God's grace and God's power, and I'm going to pray to God and worship him. I'm also going to nourish my intellect and test all things with God's word and study hard and all, and then I'm just going to let my body just go. No. No. Jesus paid for that body. Okay? Now, and, and you, you might be thinking, oh, Pastor Phil, you're just saying this because you like to work out. Look, I'm being convicted here because when I work out, sometimes it's for good. Okay? You know, but I've been at the altar of sci sciatica, okay? 
Um, sometimes old guys like me will try to work out like we the same way, do the same workouts we did when we were younger, and we're just beating up on the body. That's not being good to the temple of the Holy Spirit. But when we eat, when we work out, when we sleep, do you really walk around considering your body property of King Jesus? Okay? Um, when you dress, and I'm telling you, if you're poor and you just got one pair of clothes, hey, that was pretty much Jesus' generation of, of Jews. Um, but when you dress, you don't want to put you don't want to put too much attention on yourself. You also don't want to push people away. Um, I'm telling you, if you're witnessing to somebody on an elevator and they reject the gospel message because you didn't brush your teeth for the last two days, okay, that's on you. And that's on me. And, um, but keep in mind, by the way, I look at our people. I think our people treat the human body with dignity, but what I'm saying, do it intentionally for the Lord. Jesus paid the price for your spirit. He paid the price for your soul. And he paid the price for your body. Set it all apart uh, for him. Okay? And, um, and, and so, uh, may the God of peace, Paul says, set us apart completely for God's will. May we be blameless in all respects, all aspects, our entire spirit, entire soul, and entire body. And he says, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So now we're back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And, um, and so since we're going to be perfected in the spirit, soul, and body when Jesus comes back, we know what God's goal is for us. The least we can do is start moving in that direction by allowing God to change us from within. Okay? And... Uh, um, and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's Lord, he is kurios in the Greek, but it's in the con in this context, it means Yahweh. The Greek Septuagint, Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, the most common way to translate Yahweh, the I am who I am, the eternal God, whose pure, infinite existence, who's impossible for God to not exist, who created everything else that exists, Jesus is Yahweh. That was the most likely way was with the Greek word kurios when the, when the ancient Jews translated the Hebrew into Greek, what we call the Greek Septuagint today. Our Lord Jesus Christ, Christ, he is the Jewish Messiah, the ultimate Jewish king who will come back and rescue his people in the last days. Not only he'll rescue believers, but... Some of those believers will be the remnant of Israel, those uh, Jews that believe, that call upon the Lord when he returns. And then in verse 24 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he who calls you is faithful, uh, who also will do it. And so we find out that God, the one who calls us, what does he call us to? He calls us to salvation, and he calls us to service. 
once were saved. Well, God is faithful. If he called you to salvation and service, he'll also do it. He'll equip you for, for service. Look ahead to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. verses 16 and 17. Paul says this, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God breathed. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. God guided human authors to record his word without error. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Those are the teachings from the Bible. For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. What's the outcome? that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So whatever God has called you to, God will equip you. Whatever service God has called you to, he will equip you for that service. It's just like when he told the apostles, look, I want you to be my witnesses. Jesus is about to ascend to heaven. I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. He told them, but just wait in Jerusalem for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you. When God calls you to do something, he equips you to get it done. When God called a little shepherd boy, he wasn't little, that's a whole other thing, but when God called a shepherd boy, probably a skinny teenager, probably a tall skinny teenager, that's a whole other thing. But when God called a shepherd boy to kill a blaspheming Philistine giant named Goliath, God equipped him for that. It's like, David, I was there when you killed that lion and that bear to protect the sheep, okay? And don't think it's just all slingshot, nothing else. He grabbed, I forget, the bear, the lion, or both by the fur. That's a little bit too close for me, okay? Um, uh, David, I was there with you when you had to take down a bear and a lion. This blaspheming Philistine giants, he's going down today. He's going down hard. He's got a big sword. You're going to use that sword to take his head off. And you're going to parade it around the streets of Jerusalem, showing that no matter how big our problems are, our problems are often bigger than us, but no matter how big our problems are, our God is bigger than any problem we're ever going to face. Why? Because our God... The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Our God is the God of Peter, Paul, and John. And we can say their God is my God. And our God is bigger than any problem we could face. So if God calls you to service, he'll also do it. He'll also get it done. And he is always faithful. We're, we're often not faithful, but God is always faithful. Um, a passage I really like on God's faithfulness is 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except, except such as is common to man. Don't, always, don't think, oh, the temptation I'm going through, no one else in the world has ever gone through this. no. It, it, lots of people have gone through it. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape 
that you may be able to bear it. And so when you feel like giving up, whether it's a trial and testing or a temptation to sin, and you feel like throwing in the towel, if you throw in the towel and you give in, that's not God's fault. My Bible says God is faithful. Okay? When we sin, we're faithless. Uh, God remains faithful. In fact, Paul, Philippians 1, 6, tells us that he who began a good work in you will perfect it to the day of Christ Jesus. Our God is faithful. He's going to finish the work that he started in us. And some of us look in the mirror and we just say, man, I'm still spiritually a mess. All right, well, just acknowledge that to the Lord and then get in his word, be a person of prayer, be all that God called you to be. God's not finished with you yet. God is always faithful. We often are not. Okay, and in verse 25 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, brethren, pray for us. Now, remember Thessalonians, he only spent a few weeks with them, and then because of persecution, he had to flee to Berea, and then eventually he went to Athens, and then eventually he went and planted a church in Corinth. He didn't spend a whole lot of time with them. Okay? Are you the kind of Christian, let's say you've been saved for like 30, 40 years, you're grounded in the word, you're pretty mature, spiritually mature, and you lead somebody to Christ on Monday, are you willing to ask him for prayer on Tuesday? Because Paul is. You might say, yeah, but wait a minute, the Thessalonians, they had all these issues. Yeah, they had all these issues. All new believers have lots of issues. Okay? So Paul wasn't saying, look, I'm an apostle. I got all this apostolic authority. You're just new believers. I don't need your prayer. Would Paul recognize the power of prayer is not in the people who are praying, but it's the one they're praying to. And so Paul's saying, Paul says, I'm, I, Paul's saying, I'm not so important I can't use your prayer. I need your prayer. You're new believers, Paul says, and I still need your prayer. But he says, brethren, it's the family of God. We're brothers and sisters. Even spiritual leaders need our prayers. I hope everybody here prays for me and the other pastors in the church. Um, We need it big time. We need it big time. I mean, fallible men being called to preach God's infallible word, that's pretty scary. Teachers incur stricter judgment. When a teacher falls, he could he could be a stumbling block to others, take others down. Spiritual leaders need our prayers. And then Paul says in verse 26, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. When I first read that as a new believer, I was like, man, what am I, what am I getting into? Okay. And then I realized it was just like that was the common greeting back then. You can still go to Israel to this day and among the Palestinian Christians. There's quite a few of the guys. The guys would do it to guys. The gals don't do it. They only kiss their husbands uh, or, or other ladies when they greet them. But I had guys just kind of giving me a big hug and a wet smooch on one cheek and turn my other cheek and give me another wet smooch there. And I was like, I'm talking to a guy. I want to be respectful. But it's like, dude, walk away so I can wipe your saliva off my face. You know, it's kind of creepy. And then we went to, to Spain. 
in Barcelona, Spain, and stuff like that, and and a lot of people doing it, the Europeans doing that kind of stuff. Okay, um, uh, in the 19, early 1980s, when I got say it was hugging, all Christians would hug each other. That was really rough for me. I didn't even hug my dad until I became a believer. And then I started hugging him. He's like, "Geez, what's going on here?" And um, but um, but I I did notice there were a lot of new young Christian guys who really like hugging Christian ladies. No, you got you gotta you gotta like build you know that that family relationship before, and it's still got to be like one of these hugs. And you want to hug a guy real tight? Go go right ahead, freak him out. But uh, uh, but the, the key thing, you know, now now with COVID, everybody we're afraid of humans now. What a crazy world. Uh, I hope I hope that this stays on YouTube, but I'm gonna say it. Uh, when I say God bless and be safe. I'm not saying be safe from COVID. I'm, I'm saying be safe from the government. You know? But we got people, we got we have been programmed now, be afraid of humans. Social distance, stay away from humans. Don't get too close. And don't be afraid of the government. The guys who got all the guns and all the power. It's a crazy world. So now I get, you know, it's like the fist pumps. Fist pump? I go, I go to shake somebody's hand, there's a fist pump. I switch to the fist. They switch to this thinking I wanted to do it. It's like, we don't even know what to do anymore. Okay? And um, so all, all I'm saying is the way we apply this, greet the brethren with a holy kiss. Keep in mind, guys, don't get too friendly with the ladies. There's one lady you can get real, real friendly with. Okay, that's your wife. You can get friendly with your daughters, your your mom and stuff like that, but um, but Christian guys ought to ought to hug or at least show some sign of appreciation when we come together with other Christian brothers and Christian ladies when they come together with Christian ladies. Um, I don't know. It's, it's such a you know God commands me to love all mankind, and then God commands me to love the brethren even more than I love myself. And, it, and now that persecution is just around the corner, it really makes me think more actively about that. How can I love my flock? But it's weird. We live in a country, you walk out, the people, you tell them you love them? They'll think you're some kind of a creepy weirdo. We don't even know what love means anymore. Love means seeking, seeking the greatest good for others and expecting nothing in return. Okay, and so when you bump into your Christian brothers and sisters, you need to greet them with a holy kiss. That might be a hug. It might be a handshake. It might just be saying, hey, how you doing, brother? God bless you, man. You know, and um, um, but all believers are one family. And I think we're going to we're going to be closing with this. We'll give the final charge, you know, but Mark chapter three. Gospel of Mark, chapter 3. Verses 31 to 35. Read all the brethren, Paul says, with a holy kiss. All believers are one family. Do we treat each other like we're family? 
because that's what he's talking about, greeting one another with a holy kiss. So just Whether it's a hug, a handshake, we need to be treating each other like we're brothers and sisters. And your spiritual family should be even closer than your physical family. Mark 3, 31 to 35. Then his brothers and his mother came. Jesus' half-brothers, James, Jude, Joseph, Simeon, and some of his sisters. Then his brothers and his mother came, and standing outside, they sent to him, calling him. And a multitude was sitting around him. And they said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Now, at this point, Jesus' brothers didn't believe. Until Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to them, they didn't believe. Let's face it. If you're going to believe your brother is the Jewish Messiah and God become a man, it's going to take a bodily resurrection. Okay? So at this point, they didn't even believe. So Jesus answered them saying, who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and mother. Okay? And so basically, all believers are one family. We should greet each other like we're family, and our spiritual family should be even closer to us uh, than our physical family. Now, keep in mind, your physical family, if they're not saved, they're high on the list of your ministry. In word and in deed and in prayer, you need to minister to them. But uh, I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, in this church, we're really close to each other. We need to get even closer. Not in a creepy way, but we need to get even closer because some of us might be sharing a prison cell someday in the very near future. Used to be 20 years ago, you can get in trouble at Barnes & Noble for talking too loud about Jesus at a Bible study. Now you don't even have to talk about Jesus. You just got to tell a guy, hey, 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 sir, that's the ladies' room. The guys' room was over there. You can get in trouble now. So you, any kind of truth, any kind of truth, you can get in trouble. And um, we, need to, we need to appreciate each other more. Uh, we're family. We need to greet each other like family and love each other like family. Then back in 1 Thessalonians 5, um, verse 27, Paul's final charge. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren, to all the set-apart brethren. Does he mean all the Thessalonian believers? Or does he mean make copies and send it to some of the other churches? I don't know. But let me tell you, if you're a believer, you ought to be reading the word. Paul wants as many people as possible to be reading the word. You know, there are a lot of guys, a lot of preachers don't record their sermons uh, because they think it's uh, Satan's got them convinced that'd be too prideful to do that and stuff. I said from real early on, I read about Francis Schaeffer, his, his reluctance to do it. I said, no, you know what? Every time I open my mouth preaching the word, we're going to try to record it. Now we've got almost 2,000 sermons, um, lectures, debates that people can download for free. we got to back it up on a hard drive or something because eventually the government's going to shut down the Internet for believers. But, um, but whatever the case, and that's just some half Italian, half Portuguese from Jersey who got saved. What do you do when you're an apostle like Paul and you're recording God's word? What do you do? You say, hey, let this letter be read to all the holy brethren. We want to see more people studying the word, not less people. And then Paul closes in verse 28, 
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And the grace that's God's charis, God's unmerited favor. Let me tell you, let God's grace, that's, that's my desire for you as your pastor, that God's grace would be with you, that God's grace would be with our people. God's unmerited favor, we could not earn it. It's a free gift. But I want to tell you, God's grace doesn't just save. We're saved by grace, but God's grace protects you. God protects you. He saves believers through his grace. He protects them to, through his grace, and he sanctifies us. He causes us to grow through grace. Like the song, the grace saves us, but grace will bring us home. Okay? And you might think, well, when, when, God's, when Jesus saved me, I didn't deserve to go to heaven. Guess what? You still don't deserve to go to heaven. It's all a grace. Okay? God's grace saves, protects, and sanctifies. And then Paul closes the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Amen means so be it. Means it is true. When you read the word of God, do you say amen? When you read the word of God, you say it is true. You read the word of God, you say so be it. Because I'm telling you, we got to work. You know, God's word says in the beginning, God created him what? Male and female. Now we got a culture that says there's a whole bunch of so many different genders, we don't even have enough letters for them yet. We'll probably run out of letters because only 26 letters in our alphabet. And uh, no, God says in the beginning he created the male and female. Amen. So be it. It is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. So in closing, uh, we want to worship God in our spirits and our souls but also in our bodies. Jesus bought all of you. Boys, it's really convicting me right now. Jesus bought all of me. He bought all of you. We can't shortchange him and say, I'll give him my spirit and my soul, but my body belongs to me. No, it doesn't. You're property of Jesus, and that includes your body. Uh, God is faithful. I'm telling you, we're going to go through the years. I've had faithful friends. I've had friends who haven't been so faithful. But if they lead us to be executed someday for preaching the gospel, you know, let our last words be, God is faithful. Because he is faithful, he is faithful to the end. Let God be true and every man a liar. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we thank you for Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you cared so much about us that you not only sent your son to die on the cross for our sins, to take our punishment for us, and then you rose him from the dead to conquer death for us, but you loved us enough to give us your written word, give us guidance for daily living, and then you give us the indwelling Holy Spirit and the power from within to say yes to you and to say no to sin. So I pray, Lord, that uh, we would love you with, with our spirits, with our souls, but also with our bodies, Lord. I pray that we would be grateful to be children of, of you, children of God, sons and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords.
May we love one another, recognizing that our spiritual family is even more important than our physical family. May we be grateful forever that you are forever faithful. And may we look at your word and read your word, study your word, and say amen. And say so be it. Say it is true. And in a world of lies and a culture of lies, may we say with Paul, let God be true and every man a liar. Lord, prepare us for the difficult times ahead. Equip us to be all that you called us to be so we would not be ashamed when your son, King Jesus, takes his stand upon the earth to make things right. In Jesus' precious name we pray.